Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week with your friends and with your family. My name is David Tremaine, and I'm the digital resource curator for Faith to Go. And I'm Charlotte Pressler, and I'm the director of formation for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego. And I am Susan Brownsnook. I am the Bishop of San Diego, and it's wonderful to be your guest today. Yes, and welcome back to the podcast, Thank Bishop you. Susan. It's always fun to be with you. And so happy that you're here. Welcome back, Charlotte, to San Diego. Thank you. Feel good to be home? I am thrilled to be home. It was wonderful to be at Forma, and I have lots to share about that in the weeks ahead. But I'm very happy to be back at home, back to work, and sleeping in my own bed, all those things. So good. <laughs> and we welcome you all back to the podcast. Thank you again for listening listening to this week's discussion of the gospel for this week leading up to Sunday, February 5th, the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. We only have like three more Sundays before Lent starts, so that's kind of weird. We are excited to, again, have Bishop Susan on the podcast, and like always, we like to check in with our guests about their ministry contexts. So most people listening know your ministry context, but would you share a little bit about what's going on in the Diocese of San Diego? Yes. So I am the Bishop of the Diocese of San Diego, and if you don't know, that stretches from San Diego to Yuma, Arizona, to Palm Springs, to Oceanside. Mm -hmm. When I first got here to the diocese, I declared that we would have three years focusing on what I call the three pillars of church mission, which to me are discipleship, evangelism, and service. Last year, we had our year of evangelism, and that culminated with a wonderful visit from Presiding Bishop Curry and the Good News Festival that I hope you all loved as I did. This year, we are beginning our year of service. And so we are encouraging every one of our congregations to serve their community. But in order to serve their communities, we want them first to get out into their communities and to get to know their neighbors and to gain a real understanding of what their ministry context is, who the people in their neighborhoods are, what their needs are, their hopes, their concerns, their disappointments, what things keep them awake at night. And so we are beginning and offering to each of our congregations what we call a community engagement process. And Deanne Rios, who is our missioner for community engagement, is visiting with congregations and leading them through a process of discernment and prayer and demographic study, but also getting out into the neighborhood through prayer walks and community leader interviews and other kinds of things, relational inventory so people understand who they already have contacts with in their neighborhood. The idea is that we as churches don't just automatically know what our neighbors need. We don't know that opening a soup kitchen is the most important thing for our neighbors. It might be something different. It might be that what our neighbors really need is after-school care for their children or something like that. We don't know those things until we create relationships, until we form relationships with people. One of the things that we as Episcopalians too often do is select a church that appeals to us because of the music or the sermons or whatever and not see that church as what I believe God has called it to be, which is a mission outpost in a particular community. So even if all the members of the church might be coming from miles away and passing two other Episcopal churches on the way, still I believe that God 
has called each one of our churches to have a particular mission in the particular mission field where God has placed them. And that means God calls all of us to get to know that mission field and to understand how God is calling us to minister there. And so our year of service, I believe, begins with forming relationship. I was speaking to someone who had listened to a podcast this week by a person named Lonnie Kwan, who talked about the concept of co-powerment. She said, many people talk about empowerment, so empowering our neighbors. But empowerment is a word that assumes that we already have the power and we need to give it to others. What this podcast emphasized was the word co-powerment. We are not the people with all the power who have it to bestow on other people. We need to recognize where other people have power and enter into partnership with them, which is a process of co-powerment. And that's what I hope to encourage our congregations to be is agents of co-powerment with our communities so that we can serve and love and care for our neighbors the way that God has called us to do. Beautiful. We also always love to hear from our guests about where they saw God out in the world, in your life, in your ministry context, wherever it might be. So did you have a God sighting this past week or couple weeks or sometime recently? Yeah, what I would like to tell you about is what I did all day Saturday. Mm-hmm. We have a coalition on racial justice here in our diocese, and they have been working on a particular kind of anti-racism curriculum that I asked them to create. There are lots of options out there for anti-racism curricula. What I believe is important, again, tying into the year of service, is for us in our ministry context here in Southern California in a little corner of Arizona to be aware of what the issues are in our neighborhood, in our community. And so I asked them to create an anti-racism curriculum that would concentrate on the racial and ethnic issues that happen here in this place. And so they put together this amazing curriculum that helped us learn about issues like the history of Barrio Logan and the current issues that are going on there related to air pollution and other kinds of pollution that so often impact low-income communities and that the way we have structured our our physical infrastructure of our city with freeways and ports and shipyards and so forth right in low-income communities, that is a racial justice issue that happens here. And it's one that we who live in this area need to understand. It talked about issues that happened in Encinitas and in Yuma, Arizona, and in El Centro. And so it helped us become more aware of our own history, the issues in our community, and it really inspired us to become involved. So at the end of the day, each one of us was asked to make a commitment for how we were going to go forward. And for instance, one of the commitments that I made was Um, there is currently a bill before the California legislature that would make it easier for churches to build affordable housing on their property. And affordable housing, of course, is one of the big racial justice issues in our area, our whole Southern California and Arizona community. And so I committed to um, write a letter to the legislature, um, perhaps even invite other California bishops to join me in that to support that kind of initiative. Mm -hmm. So God was present yeah. in that because God led us all to engage in this work of racial justice mm-hmm. and ethnic justice in our community. Amazing. 
So we'll keep an eye on that then. Uh, and we'd love to hear updates, you know, as things are happening. Mm -hmm. How can people learn more about that racial justice curriculum? So this was the alpha test yeah. of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And a group of, of diocesan leaders were invited to engage in it. Mm -hmm. We're offering our feedback and so forth. And I'm pretty sure that pretty soon they'll come out with a beta test and then we'll eventually roll it out to the whole diocese. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. We will be updating you on that then and keep an eye out for those communications from the diocese then. And now we're going to move to our discussion about the gospel. We always love to hear from you all about your personal reflections or conversations or questions you have from your week of discussion or reflection about this gospel we're going to talk about. We'd also love to hear about any of your uh, God sightings or something about your ministry context, something that's coming up for you out in the world. You can find all those ways of getting in contact with us listed in the description for this episode. So now we'll transition to our discussion about the gospel again for this upcoming Sunday, February 5th, the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. Charlotte is going to read it, and then I'll have the smallest bit of context, and then we'll each have a point. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the very next section of Matthew chapter 5 after our reading from last week, the Beatitudes. And so we're just in this big block of teaching, which we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's fifth chapter. That's where we are. And that's all you need to know. Bishop Susan, you have the first point. Well, I was intrigued as I read this by these metaphors of salt and light. So I have a, a story to tell you about what happened last summer. I was in Ireland for my vacation. My husband and I toured a place called New Grange, which is an ancient burial site and a sort of a, some sort of religious things happen there, but it's thousands of years in the past and nobody really knows what it was used for, but mm -hmm. a gigantic burial mound. And if you go into a very dark tunnel and into the very center of the mound, you can see places where they found bodies that were buried in some sort of ritual way that mm -hmm. appeared to be royal or priestly or something. We went in there with a tour guide and, you know, maybe eight or ten people, which is all that would fit. And the tour guide said, I'm going to turn off all the lights now, and you will see what it's like to be in utter darkness. They turned off all the lights, and we were in utter darkness. And I was thinking, oh, 
this is this is spooky and scary. And I started to feel sort of the vibes of the place. And then I looked across at my husband, and I saw that a little glow from his Apple Watch, uh-huh. <laughs> which ruined the whole thing. I was like, oh, my gosh, we are still here in the 21st century. Yeah. But the point of that, which is just a silly thing that happened, is that one tiny spark of light mm-hmm. will change the entire ambiance of where you are. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is not saying, throw on all the lights because we as Christians don't actually have the power to do that. He is saying that wherever you are, mm-hmm. you are the one small light that changes everything. Mm-hmm. That ties into this idea of salt. When I was a kid, I remember making chocolate chip cookies and like I couldn't find the salt or whatever. And so it's like, oh, that's only a half a teaspoon. It won't matter. Mm -hmm. But you make the cookies and they're utterly bland Mm -hmm. without salt. Mm -hmm. And what I've come to discover because my husband is a chef and I'm not, but he tells me that the thing that salt does, it doesn't make things salty so much unless you pour a whole bunch of it in Mm -hmm. there. What it does is it brings out the flavor Mm -hmm. of what is already there. There can be white and brown sugar and flour and vanilla and everything, but you don't taste it unless the salt is there to bring out the natural flavor of what is already there, which I think ties into what I'm talking about with this year of service and creating relationships in the community. We, by ourselves, as this congregation, this mission outpost in our community, don't have the power to pour salt over everything and make it all salty. What we have the ability to do is to bring out the flavor that is already there. So enter into relationships with people, enter into co-powerment with people, help, help them become what they are called to be, ourselves become what we are called to be, and create a greater flavor together as we serve and love our communities. I really love that. Um, I love the idea of it how it lives into the relationship um, with others. And it's something that we all can connect to having enjoyed food, whether or not we are a chef and realizing the way in which all of those things work together and how they are something greater with all of the pieces that are in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to segue into a, um, a deeper conversation about the light. I was thinking about it while Bishop Susan was talking and it took me back to my experience at Forma last week. As you guys may have heard or remembered, my little Sonia and I were at Forma and we joined David live from Forma for last week's recording, which was good fun. One of the beautiful things that happened at Forma was this opportunity to hear speakers from across the church live into the guiding scripture for the conference in different ways. As often happens with those situations, you carry pieces of it with you afterwards and then you connect to them and reflect on them based on things that are happening in your life. And I had a moment of that connection just now when I was listening to Bishop Susan. It took me back to the we, one of our plenary speakers um, was Heidi Kim, who used to be, I believe, the head of the racial justice piece of the wider church. And she gave a very powerful plenary, um, which is not unexpected. And one of the things that she said is this opportunity to shift from should to want, from what is expected of us to what we are longing for. And I was thinking about that in relationship to light. 
I'm particularly thinking about this program that you participated in in the Alpha Test, and that's going to be available wider about racial justice, and thinking about how even those of us with the best of intentions often make mistakes. We tread on things that we don't intend to. Um, we use words or terminology that don't end up being the best choice. And when that happens, it is a very human instinct to pull back from it and to hide ourselves, um, to hide our light, to put it under a bushel basket, right? Because we we don't want to cause harm. Maybe it comes from embarrassment, but I tend to think it comes more from this place of not wanting to inflict further pain or harm when we have accidentally misstepped and hurt somebody else. And what I was thinking about as far as that goes with light is that all of that comes from that idea of expectations of should, of how we should ourselves and others, because we are so afraid of doing it wrong. And yet when we think about the things that we want in this world, the things that we want for this world, the things that we are longing for, those are the things that feed light. They are the things that help it to blossom and grow. And, you know, we know that when we share light with others, that no matter if I'm holding a candle, no matter how many other candles are lit from it, that my light doesn't get any smaller, this light that I am holding here in front of me. But the amount of light just expands exponentially because my light was enough to light 30, 40, 50 other candles that were in that same space. And so that is an opportunity in those moments of regret to think about, well, I did it wrong and I could step away, run away, hide from what had happened, or I can nurture what my heart was in that work, respond with gratitude for knowing more now and having an opportunity to live into that right relationship in a better way. And let my light be fed off of the light of all of those that are around me so that I can provide a piece, right? Like a piece of what that light is or what that salt is in that recipe that allows all of us to walk forward together and to hold each other's hand when we make mistakes so that then we can choose a new way, a partnership together. And I just love the idea of light being nurtured in community and being fed off of what our deep wants and longings of our heart are. And Charlotte, what you remind me of is how necessary it is when we are looking to serve and, and build relationship with others to enter that relationship humbly, realizing that we are not the possessor of all knowledge or all wisdom or all connection to God, but that actually we have something to learn from all of those that we are in contact with, and that as we share the love of God with others, which we call evangelism, often what happens is that we become more aware of our own gospel, our own good news, because they evangelize us in return and that we need to enter into any relationship ready to be transformed. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just I'm thinking about this idea of new possibilities and like light informing each other's light and doing it in community, which I love. And that makes me think of that leads to my point which is the next part of the reading, the last part about prophets and the law and Jesus coming not to abolish but to fulfill. 
And I'm thinking about this. I was struck by this idea of fulfilling the law. And this word fulfill is a Greek word that is also like fill up, you know, like to, to fill a thing to abundance. I was struck by that idea. And like, and the thing you fill is like a container. And so I'm thinking about the law and the prophets as like a container that Jesus came to fill, to fill up. I love that because it's like Jesus is, Jesus is always reminding us and in his interactions with people like he mentions later, the scribes and the Pharisees, all these religious leaders, he's coming to like tell them these laws, these things, these religious practices and beliefs we have, they are not ends in themselves, but means to a greater end. The end is our wellness, is like the wellness of people and the whole human family and all of humanity and creation. He sees the law and the prophets being used really for the opposite of that, which is like for the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders to like consolidate their power, to have power over people, not to co-power people. I love that he's kind of like coming in here and saying, you know, all these laws, these commandments and things that, that the religious leaders in our community have been using to like keep people restrained, to tell them what they can and can't do, that's not what it's about. It's really about like letting those solid structures uh, be the container for our flourishing, be the container for us to fill with ourselves, with our lives, with who we are with our truth and authenticity. That's what I love about this idea of light, is like letting your light shine. Like it's not letting like some light that you've been given shine, but like finding your own truest self. And when you are living into your truest self, which hopefully all, all of these like beliefs and ideas and, and structures of our faith, of our religious traditions, are, are creating the space for that kind of Re recalling of who we are, that kind of realizing of our truest, most authentic selves. When you're doing that, you're creating new possibilities for the world and for other people to find themselves and to shine their light and to like reveal to the world who they are. And I think about it like we have this huge, bright burning light inside of us and we're just like all our lives just like peeling back the layers of whatever it is, the shame that we are given via culture or religion or the things that we're told we can't be or can't do or who we're not supposed to be, though we know we are, just peeling back all these things and letting ourselves shine brighter and brighter in the world. And in, and in doing that, inviting other people to find that in themselves as well. And so I'm thinking about what it means then to like, that Jesus ends this whole thing by saying like your righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And this word righteousness is the same word that you could translate as justice or justness. And so I'm thinking about like what, what it, like just how that could inform how we think about the work of justice in any capacity. That like part of doing the work of justice is becoming more who we are, is becoming, that like at the heart of our justice work is also finding justice like for ourselves and that really at the heart of justice is creating a world where everyone has the freedom to choose who they are, like to be who they are fully, and to live into who uh, God created them to be, not be who the people in power are dictating to them they should be. I think it really asks us like to examine how we are 
living out the laws and how we're using the power we have and the laws and the commandments and the ideas and the beliefs and the ideology that we carry with us. Are we using it to constrain people or are we using it to create containers for people to be more fully themselves and to shine their light brighter in the world? Beautiful. That brings us back, I think, to the metaphor of salt, which salt doesn't it, it, you're not supposed to just pour salt all, all over everything and make it salty. You are supposed to use the salt in a way that draws the true flavor out of all the other ingredients. And in the same way, we are called to enter our ministry in the community humbly mm-hmm. and authentically and realizing who we are, which is Christians are not called to take over the world and, and make it all salty. We are called to be the salt and call God's truth out of every person we meet. Yeah. It's nice because then it's, our role is complementary in mm-hmm. some larger scheme, which is good. And for us to be salt, like you're saying, it would be terrible if your whole meal was just a big pile of salt. <laughs> you really need a lot of different things yes. in order for it to be healthy <laughs> and good and, for you. And by the way, speaking of salt, I'm not sure it's possible for salt to lose its saltiness. Right. I'm not sure what... The, I, I right. think maybe Jesus took, the, <laughs> Jesus took the metaphor a little too far there. But it is possible for Christians to lose our saltiness. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe mm-hmm. that's what Jesus was saying to us. Don't lose who you were called to be. All right, so be salty, everybody. Be salty. <laughs> All right, so those are our three points for this week. Point number one was Bishop Susan's, again, about salt and the complementary role that salt plays in in food and in the world, you know, and how we are called to be the salt uh, in the world and to, you know, create space for, for people to be who they are, to, to draw out in the flavor of life. Number two was Charlotte's, and it was about light and the importance of shining our light in the world and, like, you know, passing that light on to other people so that when we share our light, it doesn't diminish our light, but just, you know, multiplies. And mine was like unto the first uh, couple of points, which was about the law and the prophets and these, like, structures we have of our faith, our ideologies and beliefs, how they're meant to create safe containers for people to blossom and to flourish and to be free rather than to restrict people uh, and overpower them, but to co-power them. Having heard those three points, we'd love to hear what uh, your point would have been if you'd been on the podcast this week. We would also love to hear any of your questions or comments or stories from your week of faith discussion and reflection, anything about your ministry context, or any God sightings that you have from this past week. Thank you, Bishop Susan, again, for being with us. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Mm -hmm. We will be back next week to talk about the gospel for Sunday, February 12th, the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany. And until then, we say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.